0: We have a children's message before Pastor Jeremy comes up, so we're going to send him back and we're going to do that. So kids, good to see you all. We are still missing you here. I wish you could be here. Hope you're doing well and uh, enjoying your time here at home. So kids, I want you to imagine something for me this morning as we get started. I want you to imagine that you are sitting in the most comfortable seat in your house. I mean, you are just lounging, you're relaxing, you are enjoying your most comfy chair, you are just loving it, all right? But now as you're lounging in that very comfortable chair, grandma or grandpa stop by for a visit, and so now you have a decision to make, all right? Your first option, you can decide to stay in your chair. Right? You can demand that it's your right to sit in the chair. After all, you were there first. right? It's your chair, and no one should be able to take that right away from you, take you out of your chair. right? So that's one option. The second option is that you can decide to get out of the chair and sit on the floor because you're going to give that position to someone else. You can give up what should be yours for the benefit of another and so, this way, your grandma or grandpa can have that nice, comfortable chair. In this option, you would be considering the position of someone else and what would be most beneficial for them. This is similar to what Paul is teaching us in 1 Corinthians. In chapter 8, we saw that uh, we are to give up our rights uh, for the benefit of another, right? We're to sacrifice what we would want or desire or are able to do in order to benefit another, especially so that it would not hinder the gospel, so that the gospel could uh, have effect in their life. And so now today we're going to be back in 1 Corinthians. We're going to be in chapter 9. And Paul is now going to give us an example of this. As Paul is preaching the gospel, he has the God-given right to make a living by the gospel. That means that the church should give him money, and other material things so that he can stay focused on his task of preaching the gospel. That's part of the reason why Pine Grove pays Pastor Jeremy and myself in this. And so Paul then says that if the church paying him would hinder the gospel or prevent it from having an effect in people's lives, he would give it up. He would give up that right to earn his living that way. He would rather not get paid and still preach the gospel, and have the gospel have an effect in people's lives. In fact, we're going to hear that Paul says he would rather endure anything for himself personally rather than have the gospel be hindered in the lives of others. And so how about for you? How do your actions promote or hinder the gospel in the lives of others? Are you willing to do that which would promote the gospel and help the gospel to have an effect in other people's lives? Are you willing to give up that, that which might be yours or your right in order to have it benefit others? And so we want you to keep listening. Pastor Jeremy's going to come and preach as we think more about those things.
1: All right. Thanks, Pastor Jeff. Thanks for having a children's sermon ready and stopping my eagerness. We are in First uh, Corinthians 9, as Pastor Jeff said. Let me um, just say a little bit about why we do what we do here. I know we have people tuning in who may have questions about why we do things like what we do in the church. Uh, we believe, the Bible tells us, that it is literally from God. Its source is from God. Now, without getting into detail, I don't mean that it like kind of fell down from heaven like rain in perfect form or... Why not? God used regular humans to write what he wanted written. And one of the ways that Christianity has um, put that truth to use is by gathering together on Sunday morning, the day of Jesus' resurrection, and uh, preaching his word. Uh, and so one of the ways we've done that is just take a book of the Bible and preach right through it. And so we're doing that with the letter of First Corinthians. We actually started... I guess two years ago, and I preached through, uh, I think, the first six chapters, took a break for a while, and then picked it up again a few months ago in chapter seven, and so now we're in nine, uh, and so that, that's why we're doing what we're doing. Uh, Pastor Jeff introduced the idea that in chapters eight, chapters nine, it's about our rights. You know that being born as a citizen of the U.S. comes with lots of good freedoms and rights. Um, In fact, maybe more than at any other time or any other country in the world, it's the reason why so many people want to come and be a part of our country and not many from our country want to go and be a part of another country because we have so many uh, rights and freedoms as citizens. Now, the source ultimately of our rights and freedoms as U.S. citizens or as any kind of human part of any country is God. We have a right to life and liberty because God has created us in his image. We have a right to justice because God is a just God and he created human society and nations for the sake of justice. We have a right to self-defense because murder is evil and so on and so forth. So our rights, our liberties, are from our creator and our redeemer and they're explained in scripture. Uh, And and so the the trick is is, in this text, is when do you use a right? When do you demand a right? And when do you lay it down? Uh, Just because we have a right doesn't mean we're like so many five-year-old children that demand it everywhere all the time, no matter the circumstances. We're to use our rights and our freedoms maturely. Uh, And of course, this is an important question in our day. We have been ordered, asked, I don't know what language you use here to lay down for this period of time many of our rights and freedoms uh, out of love, particularly for the more vulnerable in our society and and for our medical system that it might not be overwhelmed so that this virus might be able to be handled. Uh, And so should we continue to submit to this? Or is it a right time to... Demand our rights. And so uh, I want to preach it like this because this is what God's word is for. The Holy Spirit has inspired 1 Corinthians 9 to be put to use in all of life, to take these principles and apply them, not just the specific instance that Paul applies it to here, uh, but to all of life. And so we're going to do that. Let me read. I'm going to read the first 18 verses of chapter 9. Pray from Psalm 119, verses 25 to 32, and then talk about these rites. Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not my workmanship in the Lord? If to others I am not an apostle, at least I am to you. For you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. This is my defense to those who would examine me. Do we not have the right to eat and drink? Do we not have a right to take along a believing wife, as do the other apostles and the brothers of our of the Lord and Cephas? Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruit, or who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? Do I say these things on human authority? Does not the law say the same? For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. Is it for oxen that God is concerned? Does he not certainly speak for our sake? It was written for our sake, because the ploughman should plow in hope, and the thresher thresh in hope of sharing in the crop. If we have sown spiritual things among you, Is it too much if we reap material things from you? If others share this rightful claim on you, do not we even more? Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple, and those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings? In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. But I have made no use of any of these rights, nor am I writing these things to secure any provision, for I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. For if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting. For the necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel." For if I do this of my own will, I have a reward. But if not of my own will, I am still entrusted with the stewardship. What then is my reward? That in my preaching I may present the gospel free of charge, so as not to make use of my full use of my right in the gospel. Let's pray. Father, our souls are but dust. We cling to the dust. We live here in the muck and in the mire. And so we need life according to your word. We have no life apart from you. And so, God, teach us your word. Help us to meditate on your wondrous works. Strengthen us according to your word. Graciously teach us your law. God, we cling to them. Let us not be put to shame. Enlarge our hearts that we might run in the way of your commands. In Jesus' name, amen. This text is packed full of gold. It's full of truth. I thought of another thing I wanted to say as I was reading it, so I'm going to make a note as I'm writing here. Um, And I want to encourage you a lot in the doctrine of God's Word, especially in uh, relation to His Word. But let me first start with just an explanation of what's going on here in the text. Pastor Jeff said that chapters 8 and chapter 9 deal with our rights. Our rights principally here in Christ spelled out in God's Word. In chapter 8, Paul was dealing with an issue in the Corinthian church of their selfish immaturity. Um, We have a freedom in Christ to eat whatever we want. Uh, We see this in the book of Acts where... uh, Jesus appears to the apostle Peter in a vision telling him to eat animals that were formerly forbidden under the ceremonial law in the Old Testament. Now that Christ had come and died and risen, he was free to eat all, all, anything. God was teaching the church to grow up into maturity that in Christ all things, if they're eaten with thanksgiving, because they're from God, because they go in the mouth and out the body, don't really have any significance spiritually spiritually. Ultimately, we can't be justified by what we eat or don't eat. And so we're free to eat. Well, that freedom, that right, isn't absolute. There's a higher law, and that law is love. We are to love God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength, love our neighbors as ourselves. And where our right and freedom may harm somebody else truly and really, especially eternally, we are... To set aside our freedom freely, not under compulsion, not not having to, but we as an individual should, of our own free will, decide to set aside our freedom for the sake of loving a brother. So in this case, you have people who become Christians out of idolatry. They came out of a background of eating meats that have been sacrificed to idols. And they can't yet separate because they're new in Christ, because their conscience is still immature. They can't separate the eating of that meat from the worshiping of an idol. And so if they were to eat the meat, which you should have no problem with conscience, that, that is permissible to eat. But if they're to eat it, they can't separate it from going right back into idolatry. Their consciences are to get wounded. They might stumble and they might go right back into their idolatry. And so We, as more mature believers, if we see that situation, should, out of love, set aside our right to eat that meat for the sake of a brother. And in Corinth, they weren't doing that. They were demanding their rights, even though they were harming their brothers and sisters' relationship with the Lord. They were causing their brothers and sisters to go back to their idolatry, to turn away from Christ so that they could have their bacon or their tenderloin that had been sacrificed to an idol. And so Paul is calling them out. He's rebuking them for their selfishness, for their rudeness, for their lack of consideration, for their lack of love, of demanding a freedom when it harmed another. Now, uh, what Paul does in chapter 9 is spell out what's good for you is good for me too. Let me show you from an example of my own life that I do the same. And Paul has some guts. He picks an example that opens up another area of failure among the church in Corinth. And he does it talking about money. right The thing that preachers should never talk about. He brings up a situation where, as a preacher of the gospel, he has a right to make a living from those who, to whom he preaches the gospel. And the Corinthian church has refused any kind of financial care for Paul, though Paul has a right to it. All right, so Paul is explaining... We see in verse 4 that he has a right to eat and drink. In verse 6, he has a right not to work beyond his calling as a preacher. Verse 14 says it the most clearly. In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. All right, so Paul has a right to demand financial payment from the Corinthian church where he preached the gospel and where he pastored, to put it simply. Now, let me do a couple of things with that. First, I mean, Paul has uh, a crazy courage here, right? He's talking about a subject that is very uncomfortable that pastors are to avoid. Preachers shouldn't talk about these things Is the common prevailing wisdom in the church. Preachers shouldn't talk about things in the pulpit. Preachers shouldn't, maybe it might be allowed that you could talk to an individual privately about this, but you should never, ever preach about it. And you, you might remember that I have re, re repeatedly stated through this uh, preaching through the letter of 1 Corinthians that one of my intensive preaching, it wasn't just to preach through the content of the book, although that is precious, but to show uh, from the book Paul's example of pastoral ministry. And and here's another instance. Uh, Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, is bringing the truth of God's word to bear on a very specific, on a very difficult topic out of love for the church, helping them see their sin and calling them to repentance. And he does so with great boldness. He he isn't concerned. Another way to say it is, preachers typically refuse to preach this stuff because they want more people in the seats and more money in the coffers. <laughs> and and Paul won't do it. Paul won't do it. And so let, let's learn from Paul's example of pastoral ministry. What, I, what I'm saying is, your and my understanding of pastoral ministry of here preaching needs to be formed by God's word and not what we've always thought. All right, so Paul has this right, uh, but he refuses to use it because he will not put an obstacle in their way for the gospel. Verse 12, we have not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. That is, Paul in this instance, has determined that it's better to set aside his right to financial support, to work a second job, to take that weight among himself in order that the Corinthian church might not think that Paul's just in it for the money, that the gospel is so cheap that it's just another way to get money. And so Paul isn't demanding that right, though he has it, because he doesn't want to put an obstacle in the way of the gospel. So here again, Paul is looking at the biblical information. Our highest calling is to love, to love our neighbor. And the Corinthian church's way to love their neighbor, to love Paul, is to provide for him financially. And and yet Paul isn't demanding that out of love for them. Because he is weighing out the two that their call to love him and Caring for himself by providing for his material goods is outweighed by his care for them in eternal spiritual things. That was the principle in chapter 8. Eating meat is, is important. We need to eat. We have this right and freedom. But it's a short-term material need. And the long-term eternal spiritual need of the brothers who can't handle that in conscience outweighs the other. Same thing here. The inconvenience of Paul having to work outside of his ministry, the, the uh, impact on the ministry of having to do that is outweighed in this instance by his uh, understanding that if he were to do so, it might cause the church in Corinth to think less of Christ. So that's the principle here. I think, I th- I think you can see that. What I want to do, though, is apply this to, to what this tells us about Scripture and then apply it to what we're going through in COVID-19. Okay, so uh, as I was reading it, it reminded me of something that I wanted to say, but it didn't make into my manuscript. Verse 8, so start there if you would. Before this in, in verse 8, Paul doesn't bring up, uh, he doesn't base his right on Scripture in verses 1 to 7. He's just basing it on natural, everyday, if you would, common sense. He asks all of these questions. I, I think Pastor Jeff and I read through this. Is there 18 questions in these 18 verses? Yeah? He just asks one question after another. In the first seven verses, all of these questions are just natural, commonsensical wisdom that God has given us. And he uses agricultural analogies here. Actually, in verse 7, he uses first soldier. A soldier doesn't have to pay for his own soldiering. He serves as a soldier, and he gets paid for his soldiering. Then he uses agriculture. If you plant a vineyard, of course you're going to eat of its fruit. If you tend a flock, of course you're going to drink some of the milk. My son Peter picks strawberries in the summers, and... The owner of the strawberry farm was a Christian, and he put this principle to use. The people who picked the strawberries were free to eat as much as they wanted uh, because the laborer gets to eat by his work. We make maple syrup. As we cook it, the kids are free to drink as much of the partially formed syrup as they want. They, They split the wood, they gather the sap, they get to eat of its fruit. So Paul is just bringing up the natural right here. And and the first point I want to make is when Paul then turns in verse 8 and says, do I say these things just, if you would, on human authority? That is, do I say these things just on natural revelation? No, the law says the same. And the point I want to make here is nature, natural revelation, always agrees with special revelation. Or I could say the opposite. God's Word, special revelation, inspired Holy Scripture, always, always agrees with natural revelation. So we don't have disagreement with the way the world works, rightly understood with wisdom, and what God's Word says. These two things are in accord. Why? Because God's the creator of both. He's the source of both. God created the world and God inspired his word, and they are in agreement. And, and so we don't set those things in opposition to each other. We, uh, we have agreement. Second, Paul isn't content with just making the natural revelation case. He turns to God's word because ultimately our rights aren't given by man, but by God. And they are clearly explained in God's word. Again, verse 8. Does not the law say the same? All, all of the 18 questions that Paul is asking in these first 18 verses are all rhetorical. That is, their answer is clear. And Paul is using them um, as a way to rebuke. That as the Corinthians read these question after question after question after question, they will be able to plainly see their guilt. And the highest here is God's word. God, or the Holy Spirit is showing us that our rights are found, Paul's right to make his living by the gospel is founded on God's word. And where we see this in God's word is Deuteronomy 25.4. You shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. Now, what do oxes have to do with preachers? (laughs) Well, it's not very flattering, I could tell you that much, Um, but it's not uh, all that um, inaccurate either. Uh, The the point is, of course, an ox, uh, sometimes in order to separate the the edible portion of the grain from the inedible chaff, they would lay it all out on the ground and let the animals, oxes or donkeys, walk on them to thresh them, to separate the edible from the inedible, and um, the principle, or, or, or the, the law in Deuteronomy 25 says, don't muzzle the ox. Let him eat by his work. Don't keep him from eating the grain. Let him eat by his work. Now, what Paul is bringing up is that this wasn't for the ox. God did inspire this for the animal. He inspired it for people. All commands in Scripture find uh, a place under one of two laws, love God or love your neighbor. Everything. So what Paul is doing is looking at Deuteronomy 25.4, don't muzzle an ox, and saying, okay, where does that fit? Love God, love well, obviously fits under neighbor. It's not about animals. It's about people. How does this principle apply to people? Well, it applies on the strawberry farm of my son. And here Paul applies it to the preacher, Paul takes this principle and applies it to the church as the Lord Jesus does. Uh, and, and, and so a couple of things for us on about God's word. First, as I said our time of exhortation, our time of confession, God's word is utterly comprehensive for all of life. And we see this in explicit commands. Right? Honor your father and mother. We see it implicitly in principles as we're seeing here that are to be applied to all of life and examples like Paul's. And uh, brothers and sisters, I, I think sometimes we do this well and often we ultimately fail it. We just do not make use of God's word. We, we find it very limiting, we think. We, we don't see the all-encompassing nature of God's word. And so if you're a young person, if you're growing up, you're growing up in a Christian home, I want you to grow up with it in your DNA, in your bones, that God's word is sufficient for life because it's from God, and it's sufficient for life because it, it, it's comprehensive for all of life. And so moms and dads, one of the things you can do with blessing your children is consistently go to God's word as you consider things in life. As you bring up something with your child that displeases you, base it on God's word. As you as a family make minor and major decisions, consider God's word. One good practical way to do that is go to the book of Proverbs. filled with wisdom as you make decisions. Teach your kids the sufficiency, the comprehensiveness of God's word by going to it. This is often neglect among God's people. We treat God's word as just another voice of an expert in, in one narrow area among many other experts. And uh, we don't see the sufficiency of it. We don't. Uh, and second, then, applying this truth of God's word. Look look at verse ten. We see again the kindness, the Tenderness and love of God for us. Does he not certainly speak for our sake? It is written for our sake. Now, the hour here, I believe, refers specifically in verse 6 to Barnabas and Paul, or maybe a bit more generally to apostles, the preachers, the pastors. So I'm really glad for this. God cares for pastors. Uh, but the principle is extended to all of God's people here, isn't it? One of the answers then to why did God inspire His holy eternal word? For our sake. For your sake. He cares for us. For our sake. For, for our well being. He, he is a father who inspired his holy word through his process, prophets and apostles. Why? For our sake. And how harsh we are in, towards God in this. We go to God's word and we, I don't know what frequency, frequently, sometimes, whatever, we, we, we think God's taking. We, we think he's taking We don't see him as giving. We don't see him as generous. We don't see him as aiming everything for our sake. And and yet here, very plainly, he certainly speaks for our sake. Now notice that word speak. Right now, God's word isn't dead. God's word isn't an artifact. God's word isn't a, A manuscript discovered in a cave brought forth that isn't alive and that is just like to be archaeologically examined. Wow, that's neat. That's how they thought back then. No, it's living, it's present, it's powerful. It doesn't fade, it doesn't wither. It's alive, it's present, it's here. God's speaking through his word for our sakes right now, comprehensively. So why do we so neglect God's word? Could it be because we don't believe this? Could it be because we don't have the faith to believe this? I don't mean that we don't believe it all the time, but brothers and sisters, this, this should be a wake-up call to you. Are you turning to God's word consistently in your life for how to live your life? Comprehensively in all areas. Right? one of the questions we should be asking ourselves, how, how's it going doing it on our own? How's it going living to the way that we've always thought to live? How is it going? Shouldn't we be examining ourselves based on God's word? All right. So, so, so lot, lots about the doctrine of God's word, but the, the principle here is Paul has a right based in natural revelation, based in God's holy special, inspired revelation to live by his preaching of the gospel, but Paul doesn't demand it because of a love for God's people and not wanting to put any obstacles in their way. Now, I am not bringing this up. Pastor Jeff and I were talking about this earlier the week that neither of us have any complaint regarding our church in this way. You guys are very generous. We are well supplied, and and so don't have any rebuke for you in this area. I don't know if I'd have the courage to do it anyways. Uh, maybe, but um, I've never done it before. There's probably nothing more uncomfortable for a pastor than to have to deal with his own financial provision. But Paul doesn't demand the right. He doesn't see preaching as a means of accumulating financial gain. Paul isn't just another slick salesman playing on the human desire for atonement peddling another product. That's not what he's doing here. Now, that, that has happened throughout the history of the world. That's happening today. We have all of these gospel salesmen. We have all these people who see in the gospel a way to get wealthy. Joel Osteen, Joel Smeyer, T.D. Jakes, Hillsong, Paula White, Ken Copeland, James McDonald. <laughs> These men and women see the gospel not as a means to salvation to glorify God, but as a way to increase their financial um, wealth. They do, but Paul refuses to be seen like that. He knows the temptation, and in this instance, he believes it's better to set aside his right for their sake in Christ. Okay, um, and so Paul tells the Corinthians that he's not demanded it so as to put no obstacle between them and the gospel. So there's the great principle where faith in Christ is at stake. We will gladly lay down our rights. We'll gladly. Okay. And so what I want to do then is to take that principle, to take what we've learned and apply it to our current situation. We have rights We have freedoms given to us by God, revealed in natural revelation, and given in God's word. And so what I want to ask here is, should we or shouldn't we be demanding those rights now that we've had further orders for them to be set aside? Governor Evers, again, came out this past week extending his shelter at home, safe at home order until the end of May. How do we apply what we're learning here to this? Uh, and I hope you can see the the application here. I, I hope you don't think this is some kind of a stretch. And I want to urge you to broaden y- your use of God's word to all of life. Again, I... I I want to greatly discourage you seeing God's word very narrowly. Most of us grew up in churches that did this. They would only apply God's word to very narrow areas of our lives, right? to our morality, to our home life, to our church life. It would hardly ever be on the walls of our homes or our churches. Hardly ever applied to the workplace or to uh, government especially for whatever reason, we're very reluctant to do so. But Here we have a principle of freedoms, and should we demand them, or should we set them aside based on love? So when this shelter-at-home order first came out mid-March, we as a church, led by our elders, decided that it was right to set aside our rights because of this. We did so for a few reasons. Number one... The data at that time led us to believe that this would be a real threat to the well-being of others, particularly our elderly population and those with other health concerns. And so we felt like it would be wrong of us to ask 250 people to gather in an enclosed space, potentially spread, the go- or spread this virus, and, and harm people physically. And so love for them outweighed love for our freedom to gather, our right to gather Second, even if we didn't agree with the, with the data, with the medical, and, and there was some doubt, we, we did agree that because our society was largely setting aside its freedom for the church then to say, not us, we're going to demand our right to gather, that that would, could potentially uh, reflect poorly on Christ. Right? You have businesses being set aside, uh, other institutions stopping, and if the church were to demand its right at that time, I, I think that could have done damage to our witness. And, and so under this principle, we decided, yeah, this is right. We should pursue alternative means, like a live stream. Right? But not what what now. Mid-March, the, the data was showing that and millions of people are going to get this virus. Tens of thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands in our country would die. And, 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 but, but now it's different, isn't it? The, the data is showing quite a different story. Six people in Oneida County have been infected. There are less than 200 deaths in our state. The, the modeling and data was not only wrong, it was atrociously wrong. It was way off. Now, some might say, well, that's because of the social distancing stuff has worked. Well, all of that modeling was taken into account if we did the social distancing. If we did the social distancing, 100,000, 250,000 people would die. The modeling wasn't this is what's going to happen if you don't do the social distancing. The modeling was this is what's going to happen even if we do it. That, and we do have to consider in this, it isn't just the damage that the virus would do versus nothing else, it's what's the cost to human life uh, because of getting the virus versus what's the damage to human life because of the measures taken in trying to prohibit the spread of the virus. You have to weigh those two things. So let's just, I I did this on Facebook earlier this week. Just look at our congregation. We have 300-ish people who come here. As far as I'm aware, um, nobody has been diagnosed with COVID-19 yet. And obviously nobody in our church has died from COVID-19. I'm not even aware yet of anybody in our church who um, knows anyone who has passed away from COVID-19. And so the effect of the virus itself on our church has been nothing, zero. Now let's look at the effect of the shelter at home on our congregation. Obviously, the biggest thing we've lost is our ability to gather as a church. We have, this is our sixth Sunday, I think. Is that right? Fifth? 6th, Sunday, that we've done live streaming, including Easter and then Good Friday. That's a, that's, that's a loss. This is a need for God's people. All right. Th- then you have many in our congregation who are out of work right now, some who own businesses, whose businesses have had to close, and some may not reopen. Uh, we have the inability outside of church largely to gather. So our small groups Other ministries are off for right now. Uh, You have the fear part of this that has happened, the psychological effects. You have people who don't live with others, singles, widows, widowers, who are not getting the social, physical interaction that they need. We have people in our church who can't attend to sick loved ones, they can't visit them in the hospital. We've had people in our congregation who have lost loved ones who can't grieve the loss, there's no funeral. A- a- and on and on. And so if, if we're just weighing it, the the effect of the virus itself compared to the effect of the shelter at home, the shelter at home has been has caused way more difficulties, way more loss th- than the virus. And that isn't to say God isn't using this for good. I, I, there's been great good. Live streaming, us doing that has been a good thing. Uh, my time with my family, our family together, I think it's been great. We've had a lot less busy schedule. I think it's been wonderful. Pastor Jeff and I have done some other teaching that we probably wouldn't be doing. I think it's been a benefit. And, and you've probably gained a lot of good. So this isn't complaining or whining. We're just looking at this principle of should we be laying down our rights and our freedoms for the sake of love? Should we? And again, I'm, I'm not telling you what I think here. I'm just raising the issue. I I want you to learn to apply God's word, whether it's explicit commands or implicit principles and examples, to life. To life. And and, and then, of course, we haven't even, in this issue, talked about what is best for the fame of Christ? What is best for the gospel? Would it be best for the church to continue to heed Governing Evers' orders until the end of May? Or would it be better for the witness and testimony of the gospel for us to consider how we might gather in civil disobedience. Right? What is the best for the gospel? We we have a right. Our right isn't given by Governor Evers. Our rights are given by God, established in the Constitution. We talk about Romans thirteen. The main issue here isn't the the person in the office, but the authority of the office, which in our country is established. Not by the person, but by the Constitution, by the people. And so, of course, Governor Evers has to, at this point, set aside our constitutional rights, enumerated the Bill of Rights, for this. And so should we be submitting to it? And our greatest concern in all this is the testimony of the gospel. Among us and among our neighbors, what is best? What will most honor Christ. I'm not saying here that we're going to start gathering again for church next Sunday. I'm I'm just saying let's take God's word home here. How do you apply this? Are you thinking biblically about it? What should we be doing in response to this? What will most honor Christ? What will most tell the gospel to our neighbor? We are to submit to governing authority, right? But that isn't a blind submission, the governing authority in our country isn't the governor. It's the Constitution. Uh, and and so these are difficult questions. I want to urge you for prayerful consideration, to pray for those. We're meeting this Tuesday. I, I want us to consider things beyond live streaming. What does that look like now? What is best? Um, and at, at least for me, it looks like, The damage caused by the shelter at home far outweighs the damage caused by the virus, especially in our county. And I'm concerned for this. Out of love for our people, out of love for our community, especially the financial impact, but also the emotional, psychological. And so let's be in prayer about this. Let's take God's word home. I don't have any answers yet. Um, I want to be patient in this. And there's nothing in me... That's not true. There is something in me that wants to kick against governor's orders. But I want to set that aside and do what's best for God's glory. And I'd ask you to prayerfully join me in that as we consider these things and as you consider them. I can tell you this. We were out and about yesterday in the community, and I think people are done with the shelter at home. There was not a parking spot at Menards as we drove by yesterday. I I, I think people are realizing that uh, this isn't what we thought it would be. And how does the church lead in this? Maybe that's the biggest question. We're not supposed to be followers of culture. We're supposed to be shapers of it. And so how do we do that in response to this? We take these principles home. Okay, let me pray. Uh, we'll sing, uh, Lord, I need you. And then uh, we'll go with the benediction. Let's pray together. Father, I do praise you for your word, praise you for the comprehensiveness of it, uh, the all-encompassing nature of it, that you've written it for our sakes. Thank you that uh, you are a consistent God where your revelation in nature and your revelation in your word agree and we can trust it. And so help us to entrust ourselves to it. Give us wisdom in these things, God. Help us to do what is most glorifying to you, what is the best for the spread of the gospel amongst us and amongst this world, what is actually most loving. God, help us. God, give us wisdom. Uh, May we not respond in fear at all because you are our God and you are wise and good, but help us respond in love. And so God, give us help now. pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. The charge is this. Um, It seems to me in our day that we need to recover the thinking that our rights are based in God's word and given by God. And we need to take care to remember that uh, we have to protect them, especially for the sake of the coming generation. There is one uh, thing for me to demand my rights in a selfish way. There's another thing for me to care for the rights God has given us for the sake of my children and my children's children. Uh, And one of the realities is, is that we are consistently tempted to lay down more and more of our rights in order to get more and more financial provision from the government. And so take care there, brothers and sisters. So the charge is this. Consider the rights that you've given by God and what does it look like to live as a Christian in our day uh, and, and demanding rights. We, the people, <laughs> are the ones who have been given the rights in our country. The benediction then. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace, that he's purchased the blood of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week in the Lord. And I love you.